good evening, everyone. I'm Mark, and uh, it's good to be here. It was actually not a given because I broke down in between Thomasville and uh, here, actually going up my heap of a yeep, uh, over overheated and uh, uh, stuck on the on the side of the road. And somebody from Thomasville came down and and saved me but so it's it's good to be here and uh i got up there late and i got here late and uh eric changed around uh the the gathering so i could be here with you so actually you're going to be ending with me this evening i hope that's not too big of a disappointment i'll i'll do the best that i can so but we're in the uh fourth week right of immersion and uh really coming out of Easter and really asking the question, what does it mean to live in light of the resurrection? You know, what does it mean for us, you and I, to live in Tallahassee or, or wherever we're living uh, in, the, in the 21st century? And it's kind of based around this idea of that Jesus said that he came to give us a rich and abundant life, a rich and satisfying life, or in the Greek uh, it states an extraordinary life. And then also in John 17, we're told that his teachings were meant to give us joy and give us a joyous life. And I started having this holy discontentment that a lot of followers of Christ, or at least a lot of Christians, were, were not experiencing this rich and satisfying and joyous life and starting to ask the question, why? And going from there, and, and really kind of being led to this idea that, hey, if we're followers of Christ, that means that we need to follow Christ in person and in teaching. And so really kind of tearing um, apart, or uh, that sounds negative, huh? You know, getting into, you know, uh, getting into the Word and, and really looking at, at Jesus' words in a, in a new way, in a new light, and really just trying to ask for freshness and really coming to Mark 12 and Jesus saying, look, the most important thing in life is this, holistically love God and equally and love people um, as yourself. You know, this kind of this idea where Jesus says, look, I want you to love God with all of your heart, right? All of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength and love others as yourself. But to be honest with you, if you would have come up to me and said, Mark, today on May 22nd, how did you love God with all of your mind today? Yeah, I'd be like, uh... I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a hard question. Like, you know, you have this kind of this this concept of living a holistic life of love toward God and this concept of what it may look like to holistically love God with all of your heart and your soul and your and and your mind and your strength but what what do you actually do like what what are things that are part of your life and in this journey you know I I, I came along and, uh, you know, just was given the gift of being able to kind of break free of, of Alcatraz uh, and do that swim. And God kind of gave me a metaphor to kind of live that out. And that's what we have been doing. But 
I think out of all of them, I think Christians or followers of Christ really struggle with this loving God with all their mind the most. I think a lot of people through, you know, the past thousands of years have, have kind of swung with the pendulum to complete mysticism all the way over to making God a mathematical formula, right? Like I had a friend several years ago tell me about a church that he was going to. He was saying that he felt that he could actually unscrew his head and leave it in his car when he went to church because he knew he wasn't going to need his brain. I mean, that's just, you know, I mean that, you know, that, that, that some Christians have gone and you know, it's like, oh, it's not good to ask questions and it's not good to engage your mind and all of this kind of thing. Some people have gone that far and, and some others, and we have just a, great illustration of that have swung all the way to the other side and have made kind of God and, and, and spirituality this mathematical formula which apparently led us to six o'clock yesterday afternoon, right? And uh, the, the, uh, the rapture was meant to happen. And if you're wondering, it didn't. But but uh, it's actually, I mean, they're not the only ones that were wrong. Others were predicting the zombie apocalypse. That didn't happen either. Yeah, so, but I, I have a theory. I, I think that there was a zombie rapture because I haven't seen any zombies today. In fact, I was a little worried when I broke down on, you know, in the middle of nowhere because that's where zombies hang out, and I thought I was toast. And, uh, but no zombies, so, you know, that is what it is, right? So, you know, Christians, a lot of times they vacillate, you know, they, they go to, I'm not going to use my brain at all, or I'm going to, you know, totally boil my, or, or uh, refine my spirituality all the way down to a mathematical formula. And, and I think that especially people who are left-brained, uh, you know, kind of struggle with, with faith maybe um, a little more than, than people who are creative and, and right-brained. Like, I mean, who here would like say that they're left brain? Uh, left brain, it's opposite of what you think. Like left brain, you think you're all artsy and everything, but no, you're like a race stick in the mud, you know, like formula person, scientist. They're, yeah, totally, Dan Durenberger is. And Ben, I can, I can see that. So yeah, and then, and then right brain, you know, that's your Lindsay. And uh, if you just want to, what, that's good. No, it's a wonderful thing. You're fun to be with, right? And, and everything. So, yeah, uh, yeah, they, they complement uh, each other. Uh, but, but for, for a, lot of, a lot of people, scientists, you know, what is science, right? Science is observation of the physical world. I mean, that, uh, just believe me, that's what science is, is, is observation of, of, of the physical world. And, and, a lot of people, they have difficulty with this kind of concept of faith because faith is nonsense. Now, you're going to have to, as your pastor, you're going to have to give me a little, little latitude to kind of unpack this. And I'm going to need someone, someone who has faith to help me out. So anybody here say that you are a person of faith? One person. All right, we have, a, we have a few people who are, are people of faith. Now, are there any people of faith here that 
have a little faith in me that I will not embarrass you too much. One. Okay, that's pretty, that's good. Elizabeth, will you please come up here? But I chose on, I chose on you. I'm teaching English after this. Uh, hello. Hi. Have a mic. Okay. okay, so you are a self-proclaimed giant of the faith. It's on. Okay. Have, trust me. Okay. This is a faith conversation. So, so what do you have faith in? Tell me. I have faith in God. I have okay. faith in my family. Okay. I have faith in my community. Okay. You had faith. Yeah, you had faith that we would be here today, that, that yeah. the zombies or the rapture wasn't going to happen. We'd be here, so you came, right? Right. So you had faith in that. Yes. That we'd be here and do that. You also had faith in your car to get you from Thomasville to here. Yeah. That's good. And you made it. Yeah, and you made it on time. So that, that was cool. You had faith in this stage. I did. That it, that yeah. it, would, that it would hold you. So you, you are a person of faith. Would you guys agree that this is a person of faith? Yeah, ab absolutely. Okay. Now, the problem is for Dan Durenberger over there that he's saying that, that faith is nonsense. You know, he's, he's looking in it and he, He's looking at her, and he cannot see faith. Like, he, he looks yeah. at you. You specifically, and he doesn't see it. Me too. I mean, I'll just, I'll just let Dan off the hook. I, I can't see faith. I can't see faith no. on somebody. Or, like, I don't hear any faith radiation <laughs> coming off of you, Right. Right. I smell coconut, but I do not smell faith. Coke, I was right? Coconut? Yeah, it's coconut. Okay. You put the lime in the coconut and drink it all. All right. <laughs> what? 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 And I'm not going to lick you or anything, but I doubt. <laughs> I don't think that I would taste faith on you. So, nor so coconut. Nor coconut. Okay. coconut. So faith, faith is, not, is, is a nonsense, right? Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Elizabeth. That was extraordinary. Great job. So th th this idea that, that for, for a lot of people, because they can't observe it, it can't be quantified, that, that, it, that it's a real sticking point. And, uh, but that is faith, right? I mean, that's the whole nature of faith. It, it's trust in things that are unseen and unrealized yet. It, it, it is our hope. So how, how do people, a people who live in an enlightened society, but also serve a God of mystery, how do we fulfill this, this idea of loving him with all of our mind, you know, I think I think it's a it's a it's a great question, and and it was kind of led to the this idea of of navigation, like in in uh, swimming, when you're doing open water swims, that that you have to navigate. It's not like an, in a pool, like if you're in a pool, there's not a lot of chance that you're going to get lost. Like anybody here ever get lost in a swimming pool? No, you, you haven't, especially if you like are a swimmer, like if you're on attack or, or you're on, uh, attack is Tallahassee's 
uh, swimming team, if you didn't know that. Now you know. And, you know, if you go to like a Truesdale or you go to a, a pool where you go lap swimming, uh, it, like a pool is usually around, you know, 25 meters or 25 yards, so not very far. But they're still concerned that you're not going to make it, so they paint little black lines on the bottom of the pool. But they still don't think that much of you. In fact, they put these lane lines, these plastic lane lines that float on top of the water and it gives you about a four foot kind of area just to make sure that you don't get lost to the other side of the pool. Now, now this is very helpful, and, but, and it, but it's extremely different than open water swimming. And kind of in my mind, like swimming in a pool in life is like kindergarten or going through school, right? That, that, that you know, when you're in kindergarten or, or, or elementary or middle school, you're not going to get too fall, far off course because, you know, someone will smack you and get you back in the line. At least when I was growing up. Now they're like, use your words and yeah, maybe, yeah. But in my day, <laughs> you go see the principal and they whack you. And then you go, okay, I don't want to be whacked. I'm not going to get off course again. <laughs> but now you're like said, you know, they tell you, don't mess up again. It's kind of like Bobby's police officers in, in, in uh, England. You ever think about that? They don't have guns. And it's like, what do they say? Like, stop. Or I'll yell, stop again. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, it's not like America. They shoot you dead and then beat you and hide you somewhere. You know, I mean, I mean that's, that's crime fighting. And then they make a show about you. But, but I regress. You know, so... Swimming in a pool, digress, thank you, uh, uh, just, just let me go, you know. You, if we need interpretation, you know, somebody who speaks Mark will be over here, you know, may, or maybe they'll put it up there. But, you know, that, that you have the lane lines and, 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 and you're not going to get lost. But in open water, it's totally different. When you're in the open water, you have a much farther distance to go. You're not going to go 25 yards. Like, whoever thought, you know, of an ocean that's 25 years, or years, yards long, right? They're much bigger than that. Trust me on that. They're much bigger. Also, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that if you swam to the bottom of the ocean, there would not be any black lines painted on the bottom. And there's definitely not little four-foot plastic lines going all around the ocean to keep make sure that you go straight. That there's, you know, it's a very different way and different idea and, and technique of swimming, just like as adults, as we go through life, that, that for the most part, there's no one telling you that you have to go here and do this. And, you, you know, nobody forced you to go to church you know, tonight. And uh, you may be asking yourself, well, why did I come? Hopefully, because, you know, you want to get closer to God, and, and this is a place that facilitates that. But, you know, that, that no one is there kind of smacking you down, telling you where to go, that, that there's something internal about you, that you make a decision on how you want to navigate your life because you want to go somewhere. And hopefully that is the life that God has envisioned for you. But in life, or in swimming, just like in life, that there, there are different navigation techniques. And a lot of them are problematic. The first one I wanted to talk to you guys about is, is just kind of like going on feeling. 
Like a lot of people go through life just going on feeling, right? And they just hope it's going to work out. They, they hope that their retirement's going to be there, you know, or Social Security is going to be there when, when they retire, or they, they, you know, hope that this relationship will work out, or this or this, or they, they just kind of go by feeling. Now, feelings are a beautiful thing, you know, and, and it is part of our integrated love of God that these are God-given. But if that's your sole navigation technique, that, that there's problems that can happen along the way. Like when I was uh, at a race last, last uh, weekend, uh, I went out and, and part of the triathlon was doing the open water swim and about 200 uh, yards-ish out uh, in the water, somebody kicked me in the face and I lost my goggles. And I wasn't very happy about that. But, uh, you know, after I got everything situated and everything and I started swimming again, I just kind of like knocked off my kilter and kind of stopped the navigating techniques that that I knew would help me be successful. And I just kind of was just disoriented. I was just going off feeling. I was just swimming along and I figured I had it. You know, I've swam in the open water a heck of a lot, you know, in my adult life. And I figured I had it. Well, after a while, I realized that there was no one else around me. Now, if you're me, that does not mean you're winning. Okay, I just want to tell you. I just, it doesn't mean you're winning. It means there's something else happening. Either I'm in last, which I'm usually not. I'm usually in the mid-pack. And uh, uh, so something has happened. And what I kind of like looked up and I looked around, I realized that my feelings had taken me. I felt like I was going in the right direction. It had taken me way off course. And everybody else was like swimming over here. And I was off swimming on my own. And I was like, wow, you know what? My feelings betrayed me. David Ramsey does a really kind of cool illustration in his uh, financial workshops. He has everybody stand up. I'm not going to do it to you, but he has everybody stand up. He says, shut your eyes. And he says, all right, spin around. And he's all like, then turn around. He's all like, now point north. And everybody goes, Dunk. and they all feel like they're pointing north. And, and then he says, okay, open your eyes. And like the whole crowd, the camera kind of pans over and everybody's pointing in different directions because they were going on what they felt. And the truth is that we as humans are really lousy navigators if we just base things on our internal compass. And part of loving God with all of our mind is engaging our mind in order to go in the direction that he is calling us. You know, feelings can betray us. And I wanted to talk about, like, have, have you ever just, like, felt guilty about something? I know you all have. And obviously, none of you want to participate today. Thank you, Lindsay. But we've all felt guilty. In fact, one of my primary, like, duties uh, as a pastor is talking to people about their guilt. They come and they say, I feel guilty. And I always kind of circle back around. I'm like, well, are you a follower of Christ? And, and a lot, most of the time they're like, yes. And I'm like, well, you know, the person that you wronged, have you gone to them and asked for their forgiveness? And usually they'll, they'll say yes. And I'm like, 
Well, and they're like, I still feel guilty. They're feeling, they, they feel this guilt, even though they know, and I talked to them about, you know, and Eric was talking about, about how Christ died on the cross for their, their, their sin, for their brokenness. And they have been forgiven by God, and, and even tangibly, they know they've heard the words, I forgive you, from their friend. But for, they still feel guilty. And what's happening is, they're living through life based on their feelings, on feelings that are not from God and are not real. In 1 John chapter 3, uh, John speaks about this in verse 20. He says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. This, this idea, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our guilt. We're told other places that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That feeling, uh, having a life that is motivated in our direction, that is motivated by guilt, is not from God. And we know that the Holy Spirit can speak into our feelings and motivate us to do something. But if we have uh, uh, just oppressive guilt on us, that we have to engage our mind and bring glory to God and use the mind that he gave us and, and, and trust the promises that he gave us that he is greater than our guilt. So that's the first problem navigation technique is just going on feelings. The next one is drafting. Now, any NASCAR fans here? You know, you're the worst Southerners I've ever met. <laughs> So I'm not a NASCAR fan either. In fact, I was really shocked up in Thomasville, I asked, and there wasn't one NASCAR fan there, but there was like five or four uh, Tour de France fans. So any, any cycling fans here? All right, two of us. Oh, okay, a few, few more of us. All right. Uh, but does everybody kind of get the idea of drafting? Like, have you ever seen, like, the, the, the truck with the bumper sticker? It says, I'm not tailgating, I'm... Drafting, right, and what basically they're, you know, drafting allows you to go farther and faster a lot of times using less energy, and this is a principle used in NASCAR and cycling and also in swimming and a lot of other, uh, other uh, kind of racing sports, you know. And this kind of this idea of getting behind somebody and, and they will pull you farther along. And this is kind of a central uh, principle in Christianity too, isn't it? I mean, it's this, this discipleship that, that, that following someone who is farther along than you to help bring you closer to the heart and mind of Christ. But sometimes there's problems with that, right? that sometimes people take you in the wrong direction. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says, But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies. Heresies are false teachings. Think of anybody teaching a false truth. Or false truth. You know what I mean. And even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. You see, 
over the past 2,000 years that there's been these false teachers. They're out there and, and you get behind them or some people get behind them and they, they think that they're moving in a certain direction, but they end up somewhere that they don't want to be. It would be like if, you know, on Sunday when I was swimming, if somebody unfortunately decided that they were going to draft behind me. And uh, there's so many problems with that. But, but for this one, just say like they were drafting behind me and, and, you know, eventually when I figured out that I was going in the total wrong direction, they would have been in the same place. And part of loving God with all your mind is making sure and engaging your mind and, and asking the questions of the people that you're following. Are they taking you to the place where you believe God wants you to be? Like, think about how this would have played out with uh, this radio guy who, who predicted the rapture yesterday. If, if one of the follower, one of his followers, and there were a lot of them, I mean, kind of scary how many there were, if, if he was all like, yeah, you know, Jesus is going to come back at 6 o'clock on Saturday, you know, sell everything and get ready and all this stuff. And it's like, uh, what about the part where Jesus says in the Bible that no one knows the date or the time which you are giving us, not even me, Jesus? I mean, that's... Loving God with all of your mind that's engaging your brain and not going on feeling like, wow, I really would like Jesus to come back and I really want to believe that. But actually using the mind that God has given you and engaging it and knowing scripture and having that in your brain to be able to say, wait a second, something is not right here. The the next uh, kind of problem navigation technique is the, is the pack mentality. And I think that as Americans, we have a real difficulty with this one a lot of times because, you know, we're a democracy or a representative democracy and, and we kind of have this majority rules kind of mentality. But you know what? Even if, you know, the majority a lot of times isn't right. They may rule, but they are not right. And, and there's something about our nature that just gets us pulled into the pack. And we feel like if everybody else is going this way, then I'm going to go this way. One of the most just unusual or peculiar parts of the, the pack mentality, I see it all the time like in lines. Like you ever go to Costco or Publix or Sam's or even at the movie theaters? Have you ever been walking up? to like where there's people checking out somewhere. And there's like these massive lines and maybe one or two, but then you see off to the side, you see like the lone cashier sitting by themselves, smiling. But they're all by themselves and everybody else is in the line. And you know, maybe you without even thinking, you like you get into the line and then you start looking around and you see the cashier over there, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. And you're like, well, she has the kind of the, the universal symbol of I'm open. She has like the little light on, right? Right? The light's on. 
She looks like she's open, but nobody over is over there. They must know something that I don't, right? Like maybe somebody's already gone over there and she's just the smiley girl today or something. Like she's not actually doing anything. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what goes in our minds in, in, in this situation. But, but it happens all the time. We stand in lines, and, and even I do it a lot of times. You know, it's like, well, I don't want to get out of line because like somebody with like free shopping carts is behind me now. And if I get out of line and everybody sees me walking over like total idiot, you know, going over there, yet another one. Like, I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to lose my place in line. It's the pack mentality. And every time that I, I do go over and, and even if they're not open, you know, the whole customer service thing, they'll probably check you out anyway. And then everybody in the pack, you know, you know they get all mad, right? And you're like, ooh, I'm off. You know, and uh, ooh, see you later. And, uh, but, yeah, it was a little silly, I know, but, but, uh, <laughs> but, it, I mean, these are the, these are kind of the emotional, the feelings that go along with the pack, and we, and when we're in the pack, you know, in our, in our, you know, deep kind of feelings, we're like, I, they may be going in the wrong direction, but at least we're all together, right? That there's some sort of safety and comfort in that. And loving God with all your mind, that sometimes you have to say, wow, you know what? The pack is going this way. But I think God is calling me this way. And I got to leave the pack. I got to go over to the smiley check, checkout girl or person. Sorry, I don't want to be sexist. Person. Non-gender specific checking attendant. Is that better? Sometimes we have to leave. I had a conversation with somebody who is part of a mainline denomination, um, and I'm not going to say the denomination, but they've been making what I would consider some pretty unhealthy biblical, uh, not biblical choices as of late. And they, they came to me and uh, they wanted to ask my opinion about about it. I think they and and they were really struggling if they should stay in the denomination or not. And they came to me and they're like, you know, my my family has always been part of this mainline denomination, and I've always been part of this main line. It's not Pentecostal, by the way. Mainline <laughs> denomination, and uh, you know, and all these people, you know, and and they're all like. I can't see leaving them, but what they're, they're saying, when I look at the Bible, what they're saying and what they're implementing doesn't line up. And I said, you know what? Sometimes you've got to leave the pack because the pack doesn't necessarily constitute being right or being in the heart and mind of God. Sometimes it means leaving what we know and going by yourself to follow Christ. Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. says, Enter through the narrow gate because the gate and road that leads to destruction are wide. It's for the pack. Many enter through the wide gate. 
The pack goes through the wide gate, but the narrow gate and the road that leads to life are full of trouble. Only a few people find the narrow gate. Jesus speaks right into this, right into a fo- one of his, fo- his followers' life. He says, look, you got to choose sometimes. Are you going with the pack and away from me? Or are you going to go through the narrow gate? Are you going to love me and bring glory to me with all of your mind and make the decision that you are going to follow me, even though you feel like you should go with the pack? And then finally, this is what I really believe loving God with all your mind is in the, in the navigation sense, is picking up your head. When you're open water swimming, the, the, the correct way to navigate in the open water is, is not merely by going by feeling or, or drafting somebody or going with the pack. That will not always get you to where you want to go. The way to ensure that you're going to get where you want to go is to pick up your head and look. And basically what you do is you stroke, stroke, hard stroke, lift up your head, hit a sight on a marker, and then do it again. And again, it's cumbersome and it's hard, but it keeps you on course. And remember, Jesus said, The narrow gate, the road that leads to life, are full of trouble. It's hard, it's difficult, and only a few people will find it because it is hard to love God with all of your mind. God says this in in Genesis 1, 26 about us engaging our mindset. He says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. What does that mean, to be like us? to be able to reason and to choose and to make decisions. He says, they go on, or God goes on to say, they will reign over the fish of the sea and the squirrely animals and the fluffy ones and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, how do you reign or, you, you know, that, that, that you have to make decisions, you have to look out for others, that this is part of being part of God's likeness is the ability to choose. And you've got to pick up your head and you need to assess where you are and make the course corrections. You know, making the course correction is just essential in your life. I read an article several months ago about people who had undergone uh, cardiac bypass surgery. And they did a study a year after these people, they followed them. And, and everyone who got the surgery, they got all of these kind of, all this information about how to eat and how to live and how to exercise and everything. And you would think if anybody on this planet has ever had like the motivation to kind of change the way they live and have been given kind of the tools to make it happen, it would be people who had bypass surgery, Right. Thank you, Rebecca. You know how many people, what the percentage was of people who actually made life-sustaining change past a year? 10%. 90% within a year went back to the life pattern, pattern of life that got them to the place that they 
we're at. Because pattern of life and basically our broken sin nature is a powerful thing. So what do we do? How do we become the 10%? How do we love God with all of our mind and, and follow him? And this is what I want to propose to you. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 6, Paul writes this. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to his pastoral past power. Sorry, you're not captive to me either. No longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Paul also writes that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it talks about that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. Or in 1 Corinthians 6, um, 20, it says, For God bought you at a high price, so you must honor God with all of your body. And kind of all these scriptures, you know, woven together, start to paint a picture of like, you know what, we are no longer captive to the law, which is the wages of sin. The wages of our actions are death. But now we are a new creation that we do not have to be part of the 90% and a slave to our pattern of life. But God has given us a mind and a desire to move forward and to bring him glory in our decisions. And over the past several years, I've been able to connect with a lot of different people and kind of just, uh, just kind of wrote down different things that how people have honored and loved God with all of their mind and helped them break the pattern um, and the prison of brokenness that they may be experiencing. And I just want to share those with you really quick. The first one is don't quit, start. And people quit stuff all the time. And you know what happens? People quit smoking, they quit drinking, they quit, you know, uh, you know, watching bad stuff on the internet, they, you know, all of this kind of kind of stuff. And what happens when you quit something is you open up a void in your life and something else equally or more destructive enters it. And the way to be successful and to be free and to use your mind is, is actually make the decision that I'm going to start something that is going to push out this self-destructive behavior be, and not give it any room. The next one is work toward a dream. Say, you know what? I want to live out the life that God has envisioned for me. And I am I am going to work toward that dream that I want to have a rich and satisfying and joyous life and work toward that and make that your primary goal in life. Then do something every single day to move yourself toward that end. Do something every day. I've learned as an endurance athlete that you cannot finish a, finish a race with one stroke or pedal or, or, or stride. That it takes a lot of them. But the great thing is, every step that you take, you are one step closer to the finish. Be part of a kinetic community. A, com a community that is moving toward the destination that you want to go. There is something powerful 
about being part of a community that is going in the same direction as you. And that's when kind of the pack mentality and drafting actually becomes a positive thing instead of a negative. Next one, a lot of people kind of cock their heads at this one is invest in others. You know, investing in others is one of a surefire way to make sure that you are also growing. Because if you don't have anything to offer someone else, they're, they're going to be looking at you and be like, really? Like you're the teacher or something like that? That, that investing in others and knowing that they're going to come to you or, and, and ask you questions keeps you moving forward. Have mile markers. This one, simply enough, would have saved a lot of people from a lot of heartache with this kook who did the rapture thing. That if they just had set up mile markers in their life, you know, scripture is mile markers, and this guy's saying, look, this is the time and this place, and them having the mile marker of scripture just saying, but Jesus said there is, no one knows the time and place. It would have saved them and made sure that they kept on track. Have a plan. You know, don't just merely go by feelings, but actually sit down and make a life budget. You know, the amazing thing, it just, you know, scrambles my brain is Bill Gates and a guy on the street have an equal amount of hours in the day. And so do we. And how are we going to invest those? Don't invite failure into your home. You know, for me, I used to be 260 pounds. And uh, I had a lot of, I invited failure into my home all the time. I love Reese's peanut butter cup ice cream. Seriously. Like, it is, like, it, one bite is too much and like a gallon is not enough. Like, I can't tell you how many times, like, I'm like, I'm just going to have one bite and, you know, at like 6 o'clock at night, and then the next morning I wake up on the kitchen floor with chocolate all over my face and empty cartons all around. All right, that never happened. But, <laughs> but you know, man, I, I can eat me some ice cream. And uh, I've just learned I can't invite failure into my home. And for some of you, that's the internet. For some of you, that's food. So, uh, you know, that might be alcohol. It might be people. Man, your home's got to be your sanctuary, a safe place to help move you toward the heart and mind of God. And don't invite failure into your home. Be public with your hopes and dreams. Tell your friends and family, you know what? I want to experience a rich and satisfying and joyous life. I want to be a follower of Christ. And I, I want you to come alongside me and encourage me in that journey. Being public is hard. And a lot of times we, don't, we aren't public with our, our goals and our aspirations because we're afraid if we fail, people will think badly of us. You know what? It's a lot better to have tried and failed than to stand in the pack and not do anything. And then the last one, saturate. Figure out what you want to do, what God has called you to do, what, and saturate. Read, put friends around you, get on web forums, you know, everything that you can 
to saturate yourself with people and ideas that are going to encourage you to move t- closer to what God has envisioned for your life. Will you guys uh, stand with me? And I'm just going to pray for us. And just as we try to go out and, and really tangibly love God with all of our mind. Dear God, just uh, thank you for this place, this place that we can engage our minds and hopefully uh, have t- discussed thoughts that, that bring glory and honor to you. God, I just pray as we go through life and we try to holistically love you and, and try to figure out how to be self-sacrificial and be able to really love others as ourselves. that you will give us desire to be where you want us to be. Help us make the tough choices and bring people around us that will encourage us to outbursts of love and good deeds. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you.